You're listening to the Trust Issues Podcast. I'm David Puner, a senior editorial manager at CyberArk, the global leader in identity security. Risk. The world is bubbling in it. What's your tolerance for risk and how can you and do you mitigate risk in your life? We could avoid driving. That'd shave a lot of risk from our day to day. We could never shower to remove the risk of slipping and falling while in it. And we could cut our Wi-Fi and cellular connections to sidestep cyber risk almost entirely. But for the large part, we don't and won't because taking on risk is part of living, of functioning really. So we prioritize the risks we think are most important to mitigate. We all accept a certain degree of risk in our lives. That means that to varying degrees, we're all operating to use the parlance of the cybersecurity world with an assumed breach mindset, meaning we accept that attacks are inevitable and as such, we focus time and effort on protecting the assets that matter most. In short, we buckle up for safety. On the show today is Larry Lids, who's the CISO for Cisco's CX Cloud. And as you'll hear, Larry's path to Cisco, where he's been for about two and a half years, was by way of the insurance industry. So he's well-versed in, as he puts it, the language of risk. And his perspective on risk and how it influences the decisions he makes in his role at Cisco is really insightful and interesting. So keep your hands at 10 and 2. Here's my conversation with Larry Lids. Larry Lids, thank you very much for joining us today. We're really uh, excited to speak with you. Yeah, thank you for having me. Really excited to be here. You're the CISO for Cisco CX Cloud. What does that mean and what's your job entail? Ultimately, what um, I'm responsible for protecting is the systems that we make available for our customers and partners to interact with that are not associated with specific products. So if you think about the things that cut across Cisco as a company, in particular, our CX Cloud is one of our our key areas. It allows customers to get really solid, good visibility into the telemetry and the information they have around their Cisco products and and so forth. Um, Also oversee the security for other small things like www.cisco.com and other things that kind of cut across the company as a whole. And so you've been you've been with Cisco for about three years now. Um, how large is your team, and and you know what does the varied focus look like on different members of the team? Yes. Yeah, so when I joined Cisco just under three years ago, um, it was part of our journey um, to bring this cloud environment out and available to our our customers. And this solves a couple of different needs from the customer's perspective. First and foremost, lets them understand what they're using of Cisco's equipment, how they can get better value out of it. It also is essential to Cisco's long-term strategic plans around driving more reoccurring revenue and being able to enable customers to consume technologies as a service in the way that most customers want to in this day and age. When I joined, CX Cloud had not yet been released. It was still um, in the development process. And it was very clear to us that the security of this was going to be critical to the, the long-term goals for Cisco. 
if you don't trust the digital front door that you're working with, you're not going to trust any of the products that sit behind that front door. Um, so when I started, I had a, a small team. It was a, a handful of people. Um, we've grown to in the 80 to 100 range, depending a little bit on how you, you slice the pie. Um, so over the last two and a half, three years, we've been in a massive growth stage within this area to make sure that we get to the highest levels of trust, to make sure that we've got the right levels of um, protection out there to protect the, the data our customers entrust us with. If you think about us from a broader organizational perspective, we're what I would qualify as a low risk tolerance, high verification environment. What I mean by that is, is that we want to make sure that we don't have vulnerabilities and exposures out there that would put data at risk. And we want to be very, very good at trusting that our security controls work the way we want them to work. From a, a broad perspective, what that means is in addition to kind of standard security functions you would expect to have around like a SOC and, you know, security engineering functions and things along those lines, we also invest the time in making sure we've got dedicated pen testers and red team folks who, who are actually trying to break into our cloud environment on a continuous basis so that we can keep ahead of what the threats that threat actors are doing to try to get into that environment. There's a whole bunch of things along those lines that we, we put emphasis and, and time on. What I don't have in my organization that you would see in a traditional security team is people worrying about stuff that runs on-premise and data centers or runs on people's laptops or other folks at, at Cisco who handle those, those areas and do a wonderful job at it. Um, we try not to duplicate uh, work over things to run efficiently at the same time, but really to make sure that we're able to, to grow this offering and this product and this environment that we're working in while keeping it to the highest levels of security that we, we meet customers' expectations. The most important thing that I do on a daily basis is act as a virtual representative of the customer security teams when customers can't be in the conversation because it's an internal Cisco thing. So I'm advocating on behalf of the Cisco customers to understand like what do they expect when they're interacting with a cloud environment? What do they expect level of protections? What features would they expect to have as a security team um, to make sure that we're really meeting those expectations up front? You are living and breathing in the cloud, a cloud within the cloud, as it were. Absolutely. But I think the change that we have as an industry to move to the cloud is as dramatic as moving off of the mainframe and onto to Unix and Windows was back when that happened. Um, so it's an exciting time to be, to be doing this. You've been in the business for over 25 years and you came to Cisco by way of a pretty healthy run in, in insurance. Looks like about 15 years, maybe more. How's that shaped your, your perspective in, in your role today and, and how you go about it? Financial services need to prove that the things they do securely are being done securely. And I think that's a really helpful skill set to have. The insurance part of the industry is great fun because the language of insurance is the language of risk. So the first thing that I did coming in here was bring that language of risk. How are we assessing and managing the risk in our environment? How are we making sure that we're keeping in mind the risk tolerance of the organization and in particular of the area of the organization that I'm in to be able to set out both the short-term and long-term um, frameworks for how we build out our security program. So I'm, I'm very much a, a risk-based mindset as to how we do things and, and that doesn't mean necessarily a quantify every risk and go to the nth degree trying to figure out how much what the annualized loss expectancy of you know various controls and attacks and so forth are. It really means taking that mindset of let's always focus on what we need to do to make things 
more secure, but not lose track of the fact that by maturing our controls, um, that we're mitigating risk, but there is also a risk tolerance that we have as an organization that allows us to, to move faster from an engineering perspective as well. Risk tolerance, which is seemingly inherent now in any business, really. But at any point, do you feel like you've got folks who, who don't want to live with any risk at all, and you have to sort of maybe bring them over to another perspective? I find that there are folks in the security industry who have a tendency to think about security in absolute terms. When you're thinking about how you invest your resources, whether that's people, dollars, even just the focus and the priority on what you do, you are inherently making a risk decision. Which is more important? Which are you going to be able to tackle first, A or B? And those decisions and those discussions are essential for the success of a security program. Being effective at knowing which risks are going to be most impactful to mitigate, that's the heart of being a security person in this day and age, because we can't protect against every single thing out there. Um, so for me, we're creating a cloud environment that is ex extremely focused on our customers and so forth. That outside-in perspective environment through the eyes of a threat actor is absolutely essential. And that's not to say we don't pay attention to back-end controls and what we need to do in that environment. But if I contrast that with my time in financial services, in financial services, we spent a lot of time working on making sure we had the right documentation in place to validate and prove to an auditor that controls working effectively. That's important when you're worried about regulators improving things to regulators. Um, but that's not as important if you're thinking about something from a, a threat actor's perspective, because, you know, documentation of, of control efficiency isn't exactly what the threat actors are most concerned about. Now, as a security leader, understanding and having evidence that controls are working effectively is absolutely important to me. So I'm not dismissing the importance of doing that, but it just, that feeds into the calculus of how you prioritize, and particularly in an environment like mine, where, where we've been in a ramp up stage over the last couple of years. Threat actors, bad actors, there are lots of names for them. Is it possible to know what's coming next from threat actors collectively? Can we know absolutely what uh, attacks are going to come next? No, we, we absolutely can't know every potential attacks. What we can do is pay attention to what attacks other people are seeing um, and make sure that we're mitigating against those attacks. Because if somebody else is seeing an attack, um, we can be confident that at some point in time that attack is likely to come against us as well. So that's why investing in threat intelligence and making sure that we're savvy and have a good understanding of of what the threat actors do and have done both historically and recently helps us figure out those priorities. One of the great things about working at Cisco is we have the Talos team who spends all their time doing that. They do a phenomenal job helping us understand what those threats are and what the attacks are. Um, we also need to be cognizant of the unknown attacks that are potentially going to come out there. And you can't predict what those attacks are. There will be threat actors who are going to come up with new and different things that nobody's thought of before. So when it comes to how do we protect against those types of attacks, we pay attention to things like how do we minimize the attack surface of our environment? So have fewer places that can be attacked. So we spend a lot of time looking at the 
code that we have to make sure it's appropriately protected. You know, there's been a lot of focus on over the last year and a half now around third-party libraries. Log4j was a, a big deal um, in that it was a third-party library that created a lot of exposure to um, a number of people across the world. Um, so when we think about things like Log4j and the lessons learned from that, it's not just, boy, we need to patch quickly, but we need to have fewer third-party libraries and minimize the number of times we're using those sorts of things um, in order to minimize the attack surface so we can be better prepared against those unknown attacks. The other thing that I would be remiss if I didn't say, and I think maybe is the most important part of this conversation, is that for us to be effective and to think about all of the different types of attacks that could come against us, we need to, to have some of that attacker mindset. And we need to realize that the threat actors out there are a really, really, really diverse community. They are global. There are people who think about all types of problems from all types of directions. And if we, as a security team, don't try to replicate the diversity of thought that they have and the diversity of approach they have. If we have a whole bunch of people who come from the same background, who look all alike, who have the same perspectives, we're not going to be as good at being able to predict those types of attacks. It feels like a lot of what you were just saying there kind of ladders up into innovation. What can we learn from threat actors? If you go back through the history of modern cybersecurity, what you see is that by and large, innovation is driven by threat actors, and we as a security industry respond to the threat actors' innovation. They started doing network scanning, and then we said, oh, hey, you know, they're doing network scanning. We should do network scanning ourselves and find those vulnerabilities before they do. Um, they started at some point attacking applications. So we're like, oh, let's figure out how to do secure coding and, and do web application firewalls. So it's a, we're very reactive as an industry. We need to figure out how we can kind of keep ahead of the, the game. If you think about the sorts of things that threat actors do really well, they are really good at specializing and bringing in the right resources to solve the right problems at the right times. So if you think about kind of a standard phishing campaign and so forth, they've got people who all they do day in and day out is write emails that are compelling for people to click on. And then they have somebody else who figures out, okay, how do we target this to the right audience to, to be able to do it? Like who are the right people? If you're doing a, a um, whaling attack where you're targeting executives at a company, like who are the right executives and how do we, how do we get those messages into those people's mailbox bypassing the email security protocols? Um, so if you kind of continue going down the thing, like people who specialize in building malware that should be delivered for when somebody clicks on the link, that mindset, that approach, that perspective is something that we can learn from about bringing the right people in, allowing them to be successful um, by, by having them do what they do really well and looking at leveraging the broader ecosystem. They also have very much what I would, would articulate in agile terms is an MVP mindset. Um, a threat actor tries something, if it doesn't work, they try something else. And then when they start having success, they grow on that. I think we as security professionals have a tendency to think still in big bang, large 
project rollouts. And we do this thing where we say, this is going to solve all sorts of problems. Let's put together a three-year project. We're going to roll this out across the company and we're going to do A, B, C, D, and E, and F. And then we get through all of that. And first of all, over three years, the threat actors have changed their their targets and their methodologies and so forth. So, and, and probably they've already figured out how to bypass whatever controls we were trying to put in place because they're nimbler than we are. So how do we change our mindset to think smaller, faster, and then grow on that, incubate the ideas, see what's working, and if it's not working, stop and do something different? Um, I think that mindset and that approach, the way they do things, is something we can learn an awful lot from. If you can adopt that mindset, it's possible to stay ahead of threat actors if there's no apparent known threat. I think that that helps us react faster. I don't know that that will get us ahead of the threat actors. Um, to get ahead of the threat actors, we need some very innovative ways of thinking about the world. And some of the methodologies and approaches that we now use in a DevSecOps methodology really meet that need a lot better than what we've done before um, in that we are reducing the number of holes in our overall program and process. I'll give you a good example on this. Um, if you think about a traditional application security program where you may do a um, static code analysis to look for vulnerabilities in the code that's being written by, by a developer, um, if you're running them the, the old school traditional way of doing this, the code gets written, it runs through the static vulnerability scanner, they come up with a list of issues, that list of issues gets handed back to the developer, developer goes, hopefully fixes them, commits the code into the environment, you know, it gets released into production, et cetera, et cetera. If you think about it in a DevSecOps methodology, depending on how you put the, the controls into your, your pipeline, if there's a security vulnerability that can get caught by a static code scanning tool, it never actually gets committed. So you have more confidence this actually being fixed versus just relying on a developer doing things. Those types of mindsets allow us to be nimbler, allow us to, to find those types of issues. One other thing I was thinking about on this is that 10, 12 years ago, um, my company got a new COO. The new COO came in and said, you know what, we're going to move everything we have over to the cloud. And this is back in the time period where I would say most security people's perspective on the cloud was like, no way, no how, don't want anything to do with it. Not in our data centers, we can't be confident it's being protected. And, and I'm sure a number of people remember that mindset. Maybe some people still have that mindset. Um, I understood the business reasons for moving to cloud. You know, we're not going to say no to this. But the thought process of how we go about building out good cloud protections and how can we create a cloud environment um, in order to meet our security objectives and make sure we're being thoughtful and innovative around how we protect things. If you step back and say, what are the capabilities that we have to protect things when they sit in a data center? Those capabilities are capabilities that we need to have in, in the cloud. So that then pivots to the, how do we go about tackling this problem? And as we went down this path and started coming up with plans and so forth, what became apparent to me is, is there's things about the cloud that allow us to protect things so much better than we could um, in a data center. You can do so much faster in a cloud environment than you can in an old data center, old school way of doing things. Um, the approaches that you take are, are so different, but I think the value that you get um, out of it is, is phenomenal. So this is why I'm, I'm really excited about the cloud area. I think that there is 
a lot of good things that come from an innovation perspective that allow us to get to a different level of security than we have historically in data centers, which then I hope put the threat actors um, on their heels so that they need to come up with new creative, innovative ways to attack us um, and, and kind of change that balance. I want to make it so that the things they've done historically aren't going to work anymore. Um, and I, I think we're I think we're on a good path to, to, to make that happen, but there's a, a lot of work ahead of us. You were talking about your team and, and diversity on the team and, and, you know, using that diversity in a way to get into the mindset of the varied uh, attacker mindset. So what are you looking for when you hire and, and you add to your team and, and what does your team look like? So I'm looking for a mix of things. Diversity helps also makes it a more fun place to work and a, a better culture for the organization. Um, so there's a, all sorts of reasons to lean into to diversity. You know, it's interesting because I, I've never in my career hired as many people as quickly um, as I have here. And I knew going in, I was going to be, be ramping up the hiring quickly, which is great because I'm I really, uh, I'm a, a talent first leader. Everyone's got access to the same tools. They can use the same processes for things. What differentiates a bad security program from a good security program is the, the talent that you've got. I had a lot of preconceived notions about what it was going to be like trying to hire people quickly. And I was wrong. <laughs> um, it was different than I expected, which was fun and interesting. Was most of this hiring going on over video? Yeah. I mean, so, so the great thing about this is uh, Cisco is a company that really both values and understands hybrid work. It is incumbent on um, us as a company to enable our employees to be able to work effectively where they need to work from. Um, this is not a environmental culture where people are told you need to be in the office day A, B, or C. My team is spread globally around the world. When it comes to hiring, I am a very big believer that candidate experience is the most important thing that we can focus on as security professionals. The job market is way too hot for us to think about it through any other lens. We have hiring stand-ups where all of the hiring managers and recruiters go through all of the open positions that we have um, to make sure we're moving quickly. I really, really have a strong hatred of keeping candidates warm. We interview candidates, we have a conversation about them. If they're the right person, we hire them. If they're not the right person, we let them know. And if we're not sure, we make the best decision we can. So there's no maybes. It's a yes or no type conversation with rare exceptions. The idea being that a candidate applying for a job in my organization should feel that it is a really positive experience. They should be talking to, to people who... Um, have the diversity that we we expect as an organization. It should be quick and simple and to the point when they do it. And we should be just honest and, and direct around where things are. Um, so that's very much front and center in my mind. It seems like you take a very philosophical approach to a lot of these aspects, which is really interesting. I do think that it's important for us to actually be thoughtful and intentional about how we do what we do as an organization, whether that's hiring or whether that's prioritizing what controls we need to improve next and, and get in the environment. Larry Lids, thank you very much for coming on to Trust Issues. We will definitely be having you back on again if you're willing to come back because there's a lot more I'd like to talk to you about, but uh, this has been really, really great. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you for having me. I really have enjoyed this conversation.
Thanks for listening to today's episode of Trust Issues. We'd love to hear from you. If you have a question, comment, constructive comment, preferably, but you know, it's up to you. Or an episode suggestion, please drop us an email at trustissues at cyberarc.com. And make sure you're following us wherever you listen to podcasts. 